Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager for Bone Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson from Bone Training. Hello, Rob. How you doing, bud? Doing okay. Are you? No. I didn't think so. I I, I am. I could go a, I could go years without getting sick. I've been sick three times this year. I don't know what's going on, but whatever. So my voice is a little bit hoarse and my nose is running and I'm, but so, so I apologize for that. Tell, tell us more. Tell us more. Nose is running, your body aches, headache. You want me to get more graphic than that? It's definitely more graphic. It's not me. I think the audience wants to. No, I really, I really don't think you do more graphic. Yeah. Um, I'm out here and uh, I got to tell you, can I tell you a fishing story? Love to. I, we got we caught something that I don't think any other fisherman has ever caught before, ever. Um, I fished for two days at Trinity Lake. If anybody knows California, Trinity Lake is, if there's a prettier lake in California, I haven't seen it. And it has to be in the top five bass fisheries in the country. And it is the best kept secret there is. Uh, you won't see 10, 10 boats on the lake all day. And it's a, it's a huge lake. The fishing is out of this world. And I was fishing with an incredible fisherman. I mean, he is just unreal. How good well, he is! Was there a mirror in the boat? No, I, I'd love to. I'd love to say that I'm better than him. As a matter of fact, most things I learned from bass fishing, I learned from him. Wow! Or yeah, either from him or indirectly through him. Uh, the, the guy's, you know, he's incredible. Um, but. So on the way home, um, it's a long drive through the mountains to get out of there. And then once you get there, you get into Redding. And at Redding, we had a stoplight, maybe, you know, for a minute or so. I, just, I don't even think it was a minute to stoplight. And then we take off again. We got another 15 miles to get to a restaurant, right? We're going to have something to eat. And um, a lady passes him and honks the horn. You know, we're pulling the boat. She honks at a horn and she points at him. And I thought, well, did he cut her off? He goes, I don't think I cut her off. You know, no big deal. Uh, so we try go on another 15 or 20 miles. So we get to the restaurant, right? We get out of the, uh, truck to walk to the restaurant. I just happened to look in the boat, catch my eye. There's a grown man hiding in the boat. <laughs> he's face down in the lowest part of the boat. It's a bass boat. And he's, <laughs> his arms in the, you know, covering his head, like in a corner, like, you know, uh, so this is a bass boat. Mm-hmm. So, so there's not a lot of places to hide in a bass boat. They're kind of flat tops. No. His head was down where the pedals are, where the, where the you know, if he's using <laughs> one of the pedals. <laughs> so, the guy I'm with points at him. He's like, like what the hell? So I say, hey, partner, what, what, what are you doing? And he looks up, shocked, like, oh, oh, I, I, I don't know, man. I just, you know, it's not a get it ride with you. I said, get the hell out of the boat. What's the matter with you? So he gets out and he starts running. I mean, he's, obviously he's got a drug problem, you know. How old was he? 30, about 35 years old. How, oh my. How is it that this stuff happens to you? You know how shocking. You are a lightning rod for weirdness, man. I was a passenger. It wasn't my, I wasn't driving. It was just some, I was just a passenger. You were around it though. You attracted. But so how long do you think he was in the boat? Was he? 
I think when that lady we when that lady pointed at us, she probably saw him jump in the boat. Oh, oh, okay. All right. I thought they'd been driving around for days with no. this guy. So we took him 25 miles down the road all together, probably. And uh, the guy that I'm with, he's very, you know, he's really um, pretty keened in because, you know, you're towing a bass boat, you probably, he'll have as many 15 rods on the deck of the boat. And before some guy will come up at a gas station, not to him, but other bass boats, they'll jump out of the car at a stoplight, grab the rods and take off because you're not going to be able to catch them in that, you know. And uh, the guy I fish with has got the best of everything. I mean, he is, it, he's got the best of everything. So uh, he's very aware of that. So we're both shocked that we never saw it happen. So anyhow, I don't think there's too many people that went fishing, got a 145, 150-pound man. So. Or at least one that's alive. I know. Um, so we're going to talk about sandpaper today. And... You know, and I think one of the real reasons why this sandpaper is an important uh, component of the sand and finish world, uh, even more so than it was in the past, is like we said, when it comes to things like the power drive, and, and uh, the game has really changed. I mean, I was just talking uh, a couple of days ago with a, an old school floor guy about how we used to hand sand and, you know, you know uh, where we edge and all those different things and how much the game has changed and, you know, um, so sequence of grits and sandpaper and taking care of your sandpaper and when you consider cost and everything, sandpaper is a big component when you add it up over the, the, the uh, a span of a year. You know, that doesn't go for, you know, if, if your career is 20 years or 30 years, 40 years, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's good to have an understanding of sandpaper more than just, uh, you know, I know what 40 grit does, I know what 60 grit does and blah, blah, blah. And you are uh, kind of, uh, this is in your domain. So uh, um, I'm interested in learning what you have to say about it. Well, and you know, we'll talk- when, you just, when you just said that, I was thinking out of a sand and finish job, your three biggest costs, your number one cost, of course, is going to be labor. Number two is probably going to be finished and sandpaper has got to be number three, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's a, it's definitely up there. I never really even considered that. I think a lot of people might be like that too, not considering how, where sandpaper fits into the cost of your jobs. I mean, really, I think it, I think it's number three. Yeah. That's what I'm here for, Rob. Yeah. It has to be number three. Um, wood fillers in there, but it's not gonna be as expensive as sandpaper. Not like paper. Yeah. Stain, stain is going to be up there, but it is a, you know, it, well, let's put it this way. It's in the top five. And if uh, you, you consider, like I said, a year's span of time, two years, five, ten, the whole, whole career, um, it would uh, behoove of us all to, uh, to dive into it a little bit more than just on, uh, you know, what we uh, pick up at the counter or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, uh, right off the bat, maybe we can talk about storage of sandpaper. Because I think this is a big deal, and especially for people that live in uh, – uh, rainy, humid climates, uh, storing the sandpaper in the boxes, you know, uh, between 60 and 70 degrees Fahrenheit and 40 to 50% relative media. Above that, sandpaper, I don't care whose sandpaper it is, you know, it affects the paper, right? Sure. Absolutely. It affects the cut. It affects productivity. Um, and uh, avoiding uh, extreme temperature and humidity changes, I think, as well. So, um, you know, we talk about acclimation. A lot of things go into acclimation more than just wood. 
Um, and the crease humidity also causes the paper to shrink on the backing. So, um, you know, there's some, there's some things to be uh, uh, considered there. So when you're talking about storage and it getting, you know, too moist, too wet, yeah, it'll work, but it's just not going to go as far. Yeah, yeah. You know, you really, if you take that little extra time, and, you know, I used to kind of blow this off in the schools a little bit, like, ah, I never stored sandpaper. I kept it out in the truck no matter what. And, well, you know, I know that I lost some paper by not paying attention to those things. And now with the cost of everything, yeah, you got to be on point with this stuff. Well, that's why I, sometimes I see people take it out of the original box and throw the box away and what have you. It's actually keep the, keep the box or break the store it in. Don't put the boxes on concrete or steel. You know, you want to get some air circulation through there. Like you said, it'll still work. Of course, it'll still work. But, you know, you're not going to get the life out of it, the life expectancy right. or the cut that you would probably expect to get from it, uh, speaking generically. Um, keep it out of direct sunlight and keep it away from moisture sources. You know what I mean? If it's in the van, it's been wet and rainy and the van's open or what have you, or the storage facility is open to the elements, uh, it definitely affects the paper. And, um, and, and here's the thing that I, that I think, I don't know if a lot of people, I think a lot of people know this, but uh, there's equally amount of people that don't know this. When you're storing belts, don't nest the belts. Keep the splice under tension, right? I mean, when you put the belt back together, like for instance, when I got done with, let's say I, I sanded a 250 square foot kitchen. Okay. And that belt still got a lot of life to it. I would always take a Sharpie on inside the belt, a red Sharpie, and I write 250 on it. That means, okay, pick it up again. I don't have to guess. Okay. I sanded 250 square feet with this. I know it. But when I put the belt back in the box, I put the, I put the, uh, the, um, the splice under tension, right? Now don't put a, a, a crink in, a crease in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing when uh, that I do with my belts from sanding is, you know, you're going to get six, 700 feet out of a belt if you treat it right. I like to go around maybe 400 feet, whatever, you know, the size of a room. Stop, take the belt out and flip it around. Yeah. Because a lot of times when you see you stand in that belt, uh, you know, everything with the belt machine, you go left to right. So the right side of the paper is really doing a lot of the work because, you know, you're stripping, if an eight inch drum, you're probably stripping four inches at a time, right? So that first four inches of the paper is really strip and finish. The other four is always on bare wood. Now to get a little extra life out of the paper, that's why I used to like to flip it and then let the left side take the aggressive for a while. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, 100%, good call. One more thing about keeping the belt on the machine, and this really has nothing to do with the paper. It has more to do with the rubber, the drum. Okay. Storing that beast overnight, take the tension off of it. Because every once in a while, I'll have a guy tell me he had chatter marks, or we'll get a call and, and my machine's leaving chatter marks. And what we found is where the paper is on the rubber. Now, you know, you run the machine eight, 10, 12 hours in a day. Well, that rubber gets pretty warm, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So now you put the drum away, you leave the drum, you put it out in the truck or you leave it on the job, whatever you leave. But the tension is still on the rubber. 
So now it's going to cool off overnight. And when it cools off, not, you know, if it's cold, or it doesn't even have to be cold. As long as it cools off, it's going to cool with two flat sides. You're going to get, that's what causes a lot of the chatter marks. So you really want to get into the habit of, you know, you don't want to take a lunch break or coffee break or let it sit overnight. Just release the pressure. Release the pressure. That'll let the rubber come right back to where it wants to go. Well, and the same with the belts, if we're going to, you know, go get into that as well. I, I always take the tension off the belts, the sander, uh, the, the belts on the side. The, actually, the drive in the vacuum belt. Yeah. Yeah. So those belts, right. They're same thing. They're running hot all day. They're going to expand. And if you don't take the tension off, they're going to stay expanded. And you're going to have to keep adjusting your motor to keep those belts tight, where if you just release the motor at the end of the night, take the tension off of those belts, they'll cool down and go right back to where they are. And by the way, since we're there, uh, uh, take the uh, uh, take the wheels off the ground as well. Uh, if if uh, my sander wasn't sanding a floor, then wheels were never touching the ground. Oh, uh, you're, yeah. kind of a, you're a fancy guy. Well, I just, I mean, that's the way I was taught. Uh, so it's just, so then we get a flat spot on the wheel, but I, I mean, it's just too much work to leave anything to chance and it yeah. takes you five seconds to turn the machine over, take the wheels off. Good call. I don't think I ever got into that habit because the machines that I first, everything that I started with was all steel wheels. Remember the, yeah. early old, everything was steel wheels, man. You could, you could run them down train tracks, man. They were crazy. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, very true. We never thought about anything going out of whack. Nope. Uh, I mean, you know, you you can know uh, if if you're worried about chatter and those type of things, you know, the belts make a big difference. Um, uh, a lot of things can 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 lead into that. Uh, we're not talking about chatter necessarily in this episode, but it all ties together, right? You know, I can't stop thinking. You know, I can't stop thinking about that guy in the boat. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if it was a cat, I think you would have treated it much different. Well, I would have. Yeah. You would have too. Would have had more sympathy for it. Yeah. Yeah. You would have got something to eat, maybe something to drink. Yeah. Maybe even take it, maybe even take it home. It's actually quite shocking to look at the back of the boat and see a grown man back there. Right <laughs> there. You know what? I wish you had taken a picture of it. That could have been. Something you know something? That, we could have posted a picture. That would have been a good one. I took out my, my camera to take a picture of him, but then it felt kind of um, exploitive or whatever. You know what I mean? You know, to put it on, to put it, you know, I don't know, it just didn't feel right. He's a human being. He's got problems. So, um, but um, is what it is. Obviously, I think he had a drug problem. So bonus sandpaper is not like a sandpaper, like a rental uh, rental paper sand uh, that you get from a rental store. There's no wild grits and everything. Can you want to you want to kind of talk? Yeah, about that? that's you know, that's some of the cool things. Not and I've I, we've both learned this over the years. Not all sandpaper is created equal, you know. And one of the things about um, bona paper is it is specifically made for floor sanding. Okay. You're not, you're not going to find our sandpaper, bonus sandpaper, in 
in any other industries, you know, and we have uh, partnered up with a company called Sia Abrasives out of Switzerland. And we actually have uh, a wood floor laboratory there. So, you know, everything that we do is designed for uh, bone equipment. But, you know, I shouldn't say bone equipment. It's for the equipment that we're using today versus what the old timers like you and I, like I go back to the steel wheels, right? Like those machines didn't have, you know, they had about half of the head pressure that we have now and the RPMs weren't near as much as we have now, you know? So with less RPMs, less head pressure, or let me put it another way, with all that much more head pressure and RPMs, we quadrupled the friction. So when you quadruple the friction, we just couldn't use the old time sandpaper. That's why you see different colors, different grades, different things like that. But just like you said, because, because it is made for the wood floor industry, we had to go with tighter tolerances, you know, and especially nowadays with what everybody's dealing with, you know, everybody's heard me joke about this, you know, the old 4080 satin poly days and bad lighting are gone. Everybody sees everything now, everything that the guys are dealing with, color, texture, sheen levels, all that stuff. So you can't have any crazy 50 grits floating around in your 80 grit because you're going to put a scratch in there and you, you don't know how it got there. So that's why we say that it's, it's, a, it's a step above the, you know, the rental store type papers. Um, it, it's a Cadillac. And, and I'll tell you the reason. The way you're going to see this the, the most, I think, is sanding a maple floor with a, with a generic sandpaper, like a, a lesser brand sandpaper, where you have a consistent scratches, but then you see wild scratches in the, in the, uh, in this, in the sanding, if you put a, a halogen light to it or look at it closely. And I'm not talking about you hit it, you hit a nail somewhere. I'm talking about, you can just look through the sanding and you can see microscopically that you'll have some errant standard marks in there. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. today's standard, I mean, you know, it's not something you, you no one would want to get away with, but you can't get away with those, those anymore today. Right. I mean, people are now looking for tabletop finishes and you take a species like, like a, a maple, you know what I mean? That, that is very clear and blonde. You can see right through it. Uh, it matters. Even in your, even in your poly jobs on a, on a, on a, on an oak floor. And you see that it's a bad look. You know I mean? You work too hard to have to get that look. Well, you know, um, I'm glad you touched on the maple deal because with our paper, you know, you got really I mean, four key ingredients to paper, sandpaper. You have the mineral, you have the paper, and then you have the adhesive, okay? But there's one more thing that, that they put on there. It's called size coating, okay? So when the mineral drops on top of the glue, okay, we also add size coating to that. So that keeps the mineral from, you know, diving down too deep. And that's one of the, the differences between Bona paper and other companies' paper is we put a little extra size coating on there. So just like we were talking about with maple, maple is one of the toughest jobs to sand because it's one of the toughest jobs to remove deep scratches, you know? 
So if you're say using a 36 grit, you're gonna get a 36 grit, aggressive cut, remove and finish, whatever, but you're also gonna get an aggressive deep cut. So by putting on extra size coating, it allows you to use the paper to get aggressive, to remove, you know, finishes, waxes, whatever. You can get aggressive, but the bone of paper won't leave as an aggressive depth of scratch. So those scratches will come out a little bit easier with subsequent cuts. Uh, since you're down going down that road, uh, can you also talk about fracturing, the sandpaper fracturing to stay sharper, longer? Can yes. I go down that? Yeah, explain that if you would. Wow, this is all about me today, huh? Well, you're the sandpaper guru, man. I mean, um, you know, I've seen enough classes that this is up your alley. This is something. All you feel right. good, huh? Huh? You feel good, huh? Oh, you know what? I think maybe you should be sick more often. I, I, I become part of the show. Yeah. And not just, you know, comic sidekick relief, you know, quirky comic relief, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about fracturing. Well, go ahead. You'll change the act altogether. <laughs> no way. Oh, yeah. no way. No, 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 no. You... You know the deal with me, man. I'm a counterpuncher. Yeah. I'm a counterpuncher. You got to lay it out and then I can, you know, hit back and have some fun. Interrupt you. Yeah. It, it would almost be like Jerry Lewis being the good looking uh, straight guy <laughs> and Dean Martin being a clown. But this, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to take that. So I'm a clown and you're the good looking guy. I think that's what you were going with there. Well, uh, that didn't, that you know what? No, I, listen, you don't even have to go there. I, 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 I yep. I wanted to take a, I want to take a little walk down that. Okay. When you broke that down like that, it didn't, it didn't fit right. Uh, so. <laughs> You're Dean, get all the girls. And I'm Jerry. I never said that. With the funny looking faces and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is uh, there's maybe five listeners out there who know who Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis are, I hope. so. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You guys might have to Google that. Have you ever seen the movie The King of Comedy? Scary movie. That is a great, great, great movie. Wasn't that movie kind of spooky, though? Yes, totally. If anybody hasn't seen it, it's Jerry Lee Lewis. No, yeah, not Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis, I mean, yeah. Jerry Lewis no. and Robert De Niro. Yes, Robert De Niro. Oh, my gosh. That's a good movie. And who would yeah. ever think those two would be in a movie? Just think of what we said. Jerry Lewis and Robert De Niro in the same movie, and it was an awesome movie. Who was the girl? that Sandra Bernhardt. Andrew, and I loved her, man. She was a, I, I wonder whatever happened to her. She was a great actress. She was insane. Yeah. That's what I liked about her. She was insane. Yeah. If you watch that movie, I bet they didn't write a line for her. I bet she just ad-libbed yeah. everything. Yeah. I actually think that was Jerry Lewis's best movie he's ever been in. And you have to, if you have not seen that movie, you've got to, you've got to watch King of Comedy. It holds up today. It's a, phenomenal movie okay sorry yeah you know what you're right you could put that movie in 
in any any year, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? You can do that anytime. Especially now, because all the movies suck now. <laughs> movies are absolutely terrible. <laughs> I just did see Top Gun, though. I, I did enjoy Top Gun. It was. I was just ask, going to ask you, it's been uh, coming up in a lot of the schools I've been doing. Everybody absolutely loved Top Gun. Yeah, it was. I, I thought it was a good movie. Um, the dude just does not get any older. That's just, you know, it's crazy. He does not age. Now, what about Iceman? I heard Iceman didn't look too good in that. No, movie. he was a, he was a bit of a yeah. He was the only downside. Uh, he didn't really that he didn't uh, do anything for me. But the movie was good. He didn't age well. I heard. No, no. Well, you're comparing him against against a guy that doesn't age, so it's not really even fair. Yeah. So, okay. I digress. Um, fracturing. I think you talked. To, you wanted me to talk about fracturing. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, the old days, you'd start out okay with a nice sharp mineral, and then as you sanded the floor, that mineral would just start to get kind of dull, and it, and it would just dull to a certain point where you were just kind of wasting time. And you take the paper off, throw it away, do whatever. Um, with the new machines and all that extra friction, okay, that old mineral just dulled out too quick. We were just burning them up too fast. The old mineral couldn't keep up with the new mineral. So we had to go with some new minerals, zirconia, ceramic, um, the aluminum oxide, okay? We had to go with new minerals and the thing about a new mineral is you start off with a nice, sharp cutting edge, okay? And then instead of getting dull, it kind of fractures like that. So now I went from one cutting blade to two cutting blades. And then it kind of fractures again. So now you go to four cutting blades. So that fracturing keeps the paper sharper longer. You know, and eventually it can only fracture so many times. And then, of course, it'll start to get dull and, and you're done with it. But that's the whole idea behind fracturing is we needed a new mineral that could keep up with the new equipment and the amount of um, uh, pressure. And, and uh, what was I saying before? I don't know. I stopped paying attention. When you first yeah, started. I could tell you kind of faded out there. The amount of friction. Okay, like I said, we've quadrupled the friction. So that fracturing that happens from one cutting blade to two to four, that fracturing keeps the paper from, it keeps the paper stand sharper, longer. And, uh, and that's really the whole story about fracturing. And I can tell you're just so happy that well, I was, now you know no, about the fracturing deal. Oh, as you were saying that, and you mentioned aluminum oxide, I was I was thinking to myself, I think it was like like the third hardest substance known to man, or something like that. Aluminum oxide was. Yeah. No idea. Do you know what the fourth hardest substance is? I don't know. Why? Is this a joke? This. <laughs> my my uh, forearms. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, one thing you hear sometimes, Rob, is uh, okay. The sandpaper is more expensive than it used to be, and I think there's a, there's two sides to that as well. Uh, if you look at uh, like our diamond discs, 
uh, if you look at how long these sandpaper lasts compared to what it was in the past. I mean, you could buy cheaper sandpaper and even today cheaper sandpaper, but it doesn't last. It's not cutting. You're not productive. So maybe you can kind of talk about our diamond abrasive. I, um, when, when diamond, I was still in sport when diamond came out, when, when Brona brought diamond to the table. And, um, I remember, I forget who it was, a product management, but they said, yeah, uh, you know, when you're recoating a gym, when you're doing a screen of coat on a gym, you can take three of these diamond discs and put them on like a peace sign on a double stack room pad, and you can cut about 3,000 feet. Three discs, 3,000 feet. Now, anybody in the sport world who's done screen of coats knows that a screen might go three, 400 feet aside, a maroon pad will only go 350 feet per side. So half of the pain in the neck about recoating gyms and everything is constantly flipping and laying out and, you know, cases and cases of screens. And now I got three diamonds that are going to go 3000 feet. I was like, that, that's, don't lie. Don't lie to me. Okay. Anyways, bum and I, take care of this little Catholic school down the road, make it a 6,000 foot gym. So about three months after they told me about this, I said to Bum, I go, oh, they said these things are gonna do 3,000 feet. We literally started in the middle of that gym. He went 3,000 feet one way, I went 3,000 feet the other way. So we had a nice, right? Nice, perfect look, nice, consistent look. That's why I like starting in the middle, going each side. At around 1,500 feet, we stopped and just vacuumed the pads out, a little bit of dust, vacuumed the pads out, and they literally cut to the end of the wall. And we were both like, I can't believe this. I could not believe the cut that we were getting with those diamonds, getting some dust, getting a, a really good etch into the finish. I mean completely deglossing the finish we knew we were getting a really good cut and it was it, it was amazing i could not believe it i mean i i was like i remember calling the pm guy that had told me about him i'm like dude i thought you were a liar but the kicker the best part of that job we put down a code of 350 and we came back the next day I just yeah. want to take a look at the job. We came back the next day and the custodian said to me, can't go in there. It's still wet. Now, now we had dropped that coat around four o'clock. So this is 16 hours later and it was perfect drying conditions. No humidity, nothing. And I remember looking at Bum going, if this job is still wet, we're, we're in a lot of trouble. We're screwed here, right? It wasn't. It was dry as a bone. Now, you know, gloss finish and everything, yeah, it's always going to look good, but I had never, I had never seen a gloss finish job look so good. We had used the 180 diamonds, but what I think was, was we weren't removing a lot of the old finish. We were just really cleaning it, you know, and getting it ready to accept another coat. So we had, it, it just gave us so much more build, I think, and that's why this thing looked stunning. You probably also had dramatically less screen bite in, in yeah. that we would have without using screens. Right. Exactly. It, it was 
like I said, we just didn't, you know, sometimes you're using screens, you know, that coat kind of soaks in. And sometimes you look at it and you go, yeah, I got to put another coat in. This looks a little thirsty. I was well, amazed at what these diamonds do. That's when I, I had a whole new respect for gym contractors. Let me see. Let, let me think about this for a minute. Let's use maple. Let's put massive lights over top of everything. And let's put gloss on it. And let's use the shiniest finish we can find. Yeah. Um, when we first came out with the uh, the diamonds, uh, you know, as you know, they went to the floor gym contractors first. And uh, so when I said, well, let me sample some, they only had me like six. I said, what am I going to do with these? You know, <laughs> but I get out of my jobs and I'd use them. And, I, you know, I knew that's all I had. So then I'd take it to the next job and the next job. And the next job, and I was man, this is. And then again, I, my brothers, you know, I everything goes to them first. If I won't get some feedback, I want, and they just fell in love with them. I mean, that's their go-to. So, I mean, for sport guys and screening coats, it's you know an absolute no-brainer. I mean, the the trick is is to clean the floor with prep. There's yeah, no bond breakers, nothing to gum those things up. They're amazing. Yeah. Same thing if you use it. Same thing, you're going to use them in between coats. You want to make sure the floor is good and dry. You know, you don't yeah. want it to be a little tacky. But in between coats, you know, the other weird part about those diamonds, I mean, you've, you've felt them. You know, when you feel a, a new screen or a new piece of sandpaper, you feel it's sharp, right? And then you can feel kind of when it dies out. The diamonds, to me, never feel different. Yeah. They start acting different, but you can't. I can't pick up a diamond and go, oh, yeah, this is used compared to one that, nah, this, this really isn't used at all. So the key to, and that's what another thing Bum started to do was use the diamonds on his inner coat abrasion, you know, especially when he saw how much build was left by using those rather than abrading with something else. And so he started doing those, uh, the diamond, like he went to 240 for his inner coat abrasion on water jobs. And, you know, the, the depth was unbelievable. But the scratch pattern that was left behind, was, there was nothing there, you know, but the adhesion was fantastic. The thing that he had to do though, was he had to write exactly like you were talking about with your sand, sanding belts. He yeah. would write, you know, 400 feet. Yeah. 300 feet, you know, knowing that each diamond was going to give him about a thousand feet. Yeah. You know, we've said before that, you know, one thing about bonus is, as we have uh, our products have been to work with each other. And our philosophy is everything you do should complement what you're going to do next. So when you start out with a sandpaper and then for an coat abrasion that you're not taking off all kinds of uh, products off the floor, you just spent money put on, you get a better build. You don't get the you don't get this the, the screen bite that you would get with using screens, and you go to the stain, you're getting a lot of mileage out of the stain. So the stand, sandpaper, the 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 abrasives, the machines, the, the the all the way down the line, the filler, everything is designed to work as a system. And a lot of times when I'm looking at doing comparisons, uh, we're almost over engineered, in, in a lot of categories, uh, certainly in in finishes and adhesives and and a lot of our products. So. You know, a lot of it's German technology, uh, and SIA is uh, is you know makes a phenomenal product. I know they're aren't they in the aerospace industry and as well and uh, that different different things. 
they're in NASA, the BMW. I mean, they're just, you know, they're, they're part of the Bosch family. So they're all over the place. Um, you know, before we cut it, cut the show off, um, I know like you're me, you like me, whatever, um, you're used to the edges where you used to bolt the paper on, right? Yeah. Have you had to go, now that you've been running boner equipment for a while, have you had to go back and bolt a piece of paper on? Yeah. Carry that wrench around your back pocket uh, to do that. And um, <laughs> rather than just flip it off, there's no comparison. If, it just if, if you carried that wrench around on my dad's job, you were going to be sent out to clean the truck. That wrench was never supposed to leave that machine, ever. No kidding. Oh, oh, there was a couple of pet peeves, man. And that was one of them. But a few years ago, I told Bum, I go, hey, your mother wants me to sand the bedroom. She wants to make an office. Can you drop the equipment off? And, you know, I made a couple of drum cuts. And I jumped on the edger. And I had to take that wrench and bolt paper on. Wayne, you should have heard me crying and complaining uh, like a little sissy boy like i had done that all my life never never thought anything about it but then when we made the switch when i started running the bona equipment and that hook and loop paper that just tears off and slaps on oh my god uh, I, I i know it doesn't sound like much but i know that you've done it so what did you think well, what I'm thinking right now is, so if I carried that wrench in my back pocket, you, your dad would have told me to go sit out in the truck? Yeah. No, 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 no. You were never told to go sit in the truck. You were told to go clean the truck. And it wasn't just where the equipment was, too. It was the cab of the truck. When you were told sent out to clean the truck, he wanted the whole truck clean. I would have beat your dad up. You sure? He was a he was kind of powerful guy. You you saw that picture of him I put up for Father's Day on Instagram, right? I mean, I I beat up guys twice his age. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you. Have. All right. Um, so let's let's break down quickly our paper, the different colors of our paper. Uh, the black, the blue, the green. All right. Well, the black paper is silicon carbide. All right. Now, even though it's kind of the older mineral, we still like using the silicone carbide um, as a final cut. Like in all the schools, we've been showing people the silicone carbide, a, a 120 on a multi-disc just leaves just such a beautiful burnished floor and, and not burnished in the bad way, burnished in the good way, where we close off the grain, give us a little more flow and level time with water-based sealers and everything just a completely different look than you get with a screen. It's just more forgiving with the sealer. I know I keep going back to maple, but this is 100% where I would use on maple floors my last cut every time. Soft. Yes, it's a soft. nice, soft cut. Absolutely. Yep. All right, blue. The blue paper. That's a blend. Now, some of the papers, okay, you can't just use straight ceramic or straight zirconia or anything it's a little aggressive 
So our blue is a mixture of silicone carbide and zirconium. So we get a, a good cut, a nice cut, all right? And it's not too aggressive. This is one of the papers, you know, and I used to say this until I really started doing a lot of job, uh, schools down in Jersey where if you just wanted to pick one paper color for your crew, start to finish, I always said blue. And then for the past couple of years, everybody in New Jersey and New York Metro, it's just like green is completely taken over, okay? Now the green paper, that's uh, aluminum oxide and ceramic. So the ceramic is even gonna last a little bit longer than the zirconia. And this is where, this is where you just don't look at the price of a belt. Price per belt is not the deal that you're looking for. If you wanna judge how good the sandpaper is or how good it is, how you want to use it. You look at how much the belt costs, depending on how far it goes. When I was in the sport world, man, we won every battle, hands down. Cost wasn't the thing. Well, that's what we would tell you. We would go in, tell the sport guy, because it's, you know, you got a 14,000 foot gym. So it was really easy to go in there, tell them, you load paper on, you load whatever you're using, see how far you go. Now load mine on, and it was usually green. Load my paper on there, see how far you go, and then do the square foot price test. We won every single time. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, this show, is when we talk about cost. It's the same thing as, I, and I, you know, my world is adhesive, so I have to relate it to that. You don't look at the cost of the pail, you look at how many square feet you get out of the pail, right? When you're determining cost. And we look at sandpaper at the, at the counter. Yeah, you know, if one is 30% cheaper, but it doesn't go near nowhere near as far, well, is that really a bargain? And if it's not cutting, if, if you're using the paper because, you know, yeah, it's starting to not cut as good, but, you know, I, I, I want to go farther with the belt, then it's not a value, right? Right. Yeah, so that's it. That's perfect. You just can't look at the price of the belt. It's how far that belt goes compared to yeah. the price. That's yeah. what you're looking at. And it's you're right. It's the same thing with the adhesive. The other paper that is just insane is um, platinum. Have you ever used the platinum? I mean, needed to use yeah. it? I was a, still a territory manager when it came out. And holy smokes. It's that this is your... Um, you know, uh, like your uh, uh, break the glass, get out the fire extinguisher paper. That's it. That's what I tell everybody in the classes. This paper is break glass in case of emergency paper. Yeah. You know, back in the 90s, Mirage came out with like the first aluminum oxide finished floors. And they put a ton of aluminum in these floors. Okay. That's actually why one of the reasons that the prep system was invented. So, because you couldn't screen those rings. Yeah. So we had to come up with the prep so we could soften that, clean it, soften the finish, and then we could abrade it. These aluminum oxides were so hard. Well, now these aluminum oxide floors, you know, it's been 20 years. We're starting to see a lot of these floors need to be sanded. And I'm yeah. seeing it in every single class where everybody's like, oh my God, this stuff is... They can't believe it. You know, you put the, you probably said it them, 
put the drum down, you almost think there's something wrong with your paper or your machine. It's just putting little scratches in the floor. It's not taking anything away. That's because it's like the third hardest substance known to man. And the fur and the fourth. What was the fourth? The fourth Wayne's Wayne's forearms. Exactly. Yeah. So remember, we used to tell people before the platinum, we used to tell people back off on the pressure or your head, put an 80 grit on there, run around, scratch all the aluminum bits off, then go back with a 40 or 36 or whatever, and now you can sand the floor. So you're, you know, you had to make two passes. Now, this stuff, you just put this on. This stuff cuts through that. This cuts through like butter. Yep. So one, one, one reason for doing the show too is, you know, is ex expectations. If you're buying black paper and you're going to use it for your first pass on aluminum oxide, it's the wrong paper, right? Yeah. yeah it's every, every paper has its place. Yet would I want to go green all the way through? Some people do. They're going to use the power drive next. doesn't matter. But some people are going to want to start with an aggressive paper and work their way down to a less uh, aggressive paper. Or the black is a perfectly great candidate for that when you're doing your final cuts. So just managing where your expectations, look at the price of the, uh, the, the amount of square foot you get out of a belt. And, uh, and um, also the quality of the belts, the backing, the whole nine yards, the sizing, as you said. I mean, all that plays into it. You know, it, it, it just, uh, sure, you can go out there and you, you can get a cheap sandpaper where none of those things are taken into consideration, uh, you know, and then you get what you pay for. But um, it's funny thing about this wood flooring industry is, like you said, everything you do should, should set you up for the next step. You don't have to go, you don't want to go backwards. Uh, it's, it's great to get together with my brothers once in a while. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later, but on the next show. But uh, I was talking to my brother, John, we were talking about how hard it used to be back in the day. Because we were one, we hand sanded with 60 grit. I mean, we did. So for miles and miles, and then we edged the floor, then we would hand sand with 60 grit. We wouldn't even think of, I mean, a guy comes to the job and says, why, why don't we use oscillating sander? We go, get the hell out of here. That's not how it's done. Everything had to be hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know that feeling, you ever get that feeling when you're staining a floor and a third of the way through it, you're seeing something you don't like? Like in the old days, it was chatter. Like we get a little bit of way through it. I think I see chatter. Remember those days? I think I see a little bit of chatter. Yeah. And I'd say, thank God I'm using satin because it'll hide all that. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, those, 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 those concerns, man, you know, this industry is a lot easier than it used to be. We're going to talk about the, that in our next show uh, about the way the industry changing, getting into the industry right now. So we'll save that for the next episode. All right. However, let's wrap this up, Rob. Thank you very much, Rob. I love, uh, I, I, you know what? Um, I give you a hard time as, uh, as friends do, but, uh, I, I love the amount of knowledge you have, man. I, I it's, it's crazy. When, uh, when I have a, a question, you're my, my go-to guy when they, the other 10 guys aren't around. Okay. This wait, another episode. wait, 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 hold on. I, I'm glad you just said that. Okay. Cause my buddy, my old partner, my best friend in the world, Pete Sherman, he's been listening to the show okay? ah. and him and I were at my uh, brother's kid's graduation party last week. And he was talking about different shows and how funny they were. And, you know, he loved da, da, da. And he goes, this Wayne, though, he's uh, he's kind of mean to you. Oh, wow. Nice. 
and I say, you really, you think so? I go, really? It's just kind of, you know, joking back and forth and everything. He goes, no, I, I, I think he's really mean to you. I go, well, you know, in the beginning of the, sh- you know, the first so episode one, uh, the first year I said, everybody thought I was the mean guy, but I said, I completely agree with you, Pete. He's, uh, he's definitely been, you know, first strike now. So, um, listen, if someday some guy walks up to you and he's got the foo and glasses and just involved and, and just decks you, I just want That's you to him. know that, that that was him. Yeah. Hmm. So he's your best friend in the world, you say? He's one of my best friends in the world. No, that's not what you said. You said he was your best friend. Okay. Let me ask you something. What's his name again, Pete? Pete Sherman. Yeah. The Pete Did you see the article up. about us? About Hold the band? No. Okay. Hang on a second. All right. Your best friend, Pete Sherman, did he uh, did he get you a custom-made ice cream scooper for, for 75 bucks? I don't think so. No. But, yeah, so there you go. No, Pete. he didn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't. All right. But I will tell you what he gave me for Christmas one year. Hmm. He went through and found every old picture, because our families used to do a lot together on vacations and you know kids and all this well he went through and put together um pictures of him and i working since you know since high school Hmm. all the way up to married and kids and so as you're flipping through this this is your life book all i was doing as i'm flipping through this was thinking you know i i think i got him a, a you know subscription to mad magazine or something for christmas this year and this Mm. guy's you know got pauline in tears you know so i'm like all right dude, you you definitely win but it was definitely no ice cream scoop yeah right you can't eat that (laughs) right all right well thank you rob very much and uh this has been another episode of on the floor with wayne and rob please stay tuned for another episode